following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Rebecca and I, our youngest is uh, our, our son. He's 18 months old. His name is Nehemiah, and he is at that stage where he now in his mind knows what he wants, but he can't actually articulate what he wants, and so he gets pretty frustrated sometimes. Actually, frustrated might be an understatement, okay? There's times that things get thrown, okay? Things get hit, okay? He gets pretty frustrated, and um, I'll be honest, sometimes I get pretty frustrated in this dialogue, trying to interpret what these uh, grunts mean that he's making, sometimes screams, um, that he's saying and trying to interpret this, but there is a moment where he can, uh, he can communicate something very clearly, and it's a moment that stops and melts my heart every single time. When he wants me to pick him up, he has this hand motion that he does. He doesn't just go like this. For some reason, when he wants to be picked up, his hands, he looks up at me with these big eyes and this look of desperation. He takes his hands and he goes, <laughs> like this, okay? And I don't know where he came up with that hand motion, but he just looks up at me like this, dada, dada, okay? And it doesn't matter what just transpired. I might just be wiping spaghetti off my face, okay, at this moment. But when he does that, it immediately melts my heart, and I, and I have this compassion on him. I can't help but pick him up every single time. And so um, there are times in life that compassion and having a heart of compassion is instinctual. There are moments that our hearts just are easily, are, are instinctually have this compassion on someone or on a situation. But there are times when we have to train our hearts to have compassion. And this is the subject that we're talking about today, this idea of compassion. How are we supposed to handle this in our own lives? How are we supposed to think about this as a church? How are we supposed to engage the world that God has placed us in with this idea of compassion? And to address this subject of compassion, we're going to look at one of Jesus's stories that he told. And he was famous for telling these stories. And we're going to look at one of these stories, and it's probably, I think you could say, the most famous story that he ever told. It's when, when it comes to telling stories, this is one of the most famous stories in the history of the world. I'm almost sure you've at least heard reference to this story at some point. So we're going to look at this in Luke 10. We're going to start in verse 25 and go back through the story and see the brilliance of this and why it has stood the test of time Throughout history, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Here's the situation leading up to the story that Jesus tells. It goes like this And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
Okay, here's the situation. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. They're actively traveling to Jerusalem right now. And this dialogue breaks out, this question and answer. And this is not an uncommon situation with a rabbi and the people that are walking with them. And he gets asked by a lawyer. Now, what do we mean by lawyer in this context? The law, the actual law that their culture is set up on, the foundation, is the law that Moses got from God, the, the Torah, the first five books in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the law. That's what this man studies. So he's not coming as like a, coming to Jesus as a guy who's just kind of dabbling in religion. This is an insider who spends his life studying God's law. And so he's testing Jesus. He says, okay, how do you inherit eternal life? And this question, he's really asking this in this context. That's not an uncommon question to ask uh, a rabbi. Really what he's saying is, how would I follow the law perfectly? What do I have to do to perfectly follow the law? So Jesus says, okay, this guy's, you know, he, he studies the law all his life. So he puts it back on him. He says, okay, well, what do you think? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? And the man says, essentially, he breaks it down to this. Well, you're supposed to love God and love your neighbor. Simple. You could break the whole law down to these two things. And Jesus says, right answer. There you go. You know the answer. He says, go and do it. But the lawyer's not satisfied with that. He's got to ask another question. And he says, okay, but what classifies as neighbor? Like, what do, what do I really have to love? Okay, like, what is it really talking about in the law? He wants to dig into the semantics of it. He wants to dig into the particulars of it. Who is it specifically that I have to love? Who is, who is it that that's talking about there? He's digging into it. Now, here's what Luke tells us. He says, if you had been there, you would see that this guy's just simply trying to justify himself. In other words... He's just simply saying, look, I, I know who I want to love. I know, um, I know I have my life. I have the way my life works out. I, I know how I treat people. I'm comfortable where this is. So I'm going to pick apart these words to make the law fit how I want to live my life. I, I'm going to try and use the semantics of it, the, the particulars. I'm going to use those to justify how I'm already living because that's how I want to live. So Jesus is going to answer him. He's going to answer this question. Who's my neighbor? Jesus is going to answer him. But in a typical Jesus move, he's not going to give him a lecture. He's not going to give him a four-part outline. He's going to give him a parable. He's going to give him a story. Here's the story he told. Verse 30, Jesus replied, A man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him, passed by on the other side. All right, so here's the situation. Jesus tells the story. He says, the guy says, okay, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus responds, says, okay, there was a man. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And while he was going, he was robbed. Now, remember, they're traveling themselves 
to Jerusalem. So this is a kind of in the context of this group that is traveling to Jerusalem. And this stretch from Jericho to Jerusalem or Jerusalem to Jericho, this stretch is a very highly traveled road, but it's very dangerous. Let me give you a picture of what it actually looks like to travel from Jerusalem to Jericho. There's, it's an 18-mile stretch between those two towns. And, you can, and it's dangerous. People would not travel there alone because it was a place you'd often get robbed. And you can just imagine maybe someone waiting around a corner for you as you come around. And so Jesus tells the story. A man's walking. He gets robbed. They strip him of his clothes. They beat him up. They take his stuff and they leave him half dead. And then I love how Jesus says this. And he says, but by chance, coincidentally, Fortunately for the half-dead man, a priest of all people, thank goodness it was a priest. A priest happens to walk along and coming, but he sees the man half-dead and he steps to the other side of the road to keep walking. He didn't even want to mess with it. He didn't even want to check on the man. He's just going to leave him there and the priest keeps walking. He says, in the same way, there was another guy who came. I mean, in the same way, oh, thank goodness, it was a Levite, another person who works in the temple, comes up, but the same thing happens. He sees the man half dead there, steps to the other side of the road, and keeps walking all on the way to Jericho. Now, who has he just picked on? He has just picked on two, group, two different groups of people, priests and Levites. That would be the equivalent in our culture to pastors and ministers, These are vocational people in vocational ministry. He's just picked on the religious establishment. So they're waiting for the, as a true storyteller, okay, this third group's going to be the neighborly group. Who's it going to be? It's going to be that group that they're expecting is going to be the hero. What does he say next? Let's keep going. This is verse 33. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So they're waiting, okay, who's this third group going to be? This is going to be the truly godly, and they probably all have that, that group in their mind. And then Jesus says, a Samaritan came by, and everyone freezes. Now, if you don't know how Samaritans and the Jews in this time period interacted, it was not comfortable. They were rivals. They didn't like each other. Like, let me give you an example. Most people, if you're traveling from the northern part of Israel, like in Galilee, where Jesus spent a lot of his time, if you're traveling from Galilee down to Jerusalem, Samaria, the Samaritan territories about in the middle, most pious Jews would go all the way around Samaria because they didn't, they thought it was impious to even go through the territory. Jesus on this journey this journey that he's on right now, when he tells the story, decides he's going to go through Samaria. And if you look in the la- just the chapter preceding this story, they were going towards a village in Samaria. Jesus sends two of his, a few of his disciples ahead and says, make preparation for us in there. They're a very hospitable culture in that part of the world in this time period. People would just welcome travelers into their homes. He says, go, tell, go set up a place for us to stay there. They ran ahead. And when they get to, to, into the Samaritan village, they, the Samaritans find out that this is a group of Jewish people going to Jerusalem and no one will take them in. 
the entire Samaritan village snubs them, kicks them out, and they have to keep going. So Jesus is traveling. This just happened. They're all still feeling the, being snubbed by this Samaritan village. And Jesus is telling a story about being neighborly. And the example he gives is of a Samaritan who sees this guy hurting, checks on him. He's alive, handles his wounds, puts him on his own animal. Now he's walking beside the animal, takes him to an inn, takes care of him through the night. The next day gives money to the innkeeper, two denarii, that's two days wages, and says, take care of him. And then what does the Samaritan do? Does he say, okay, I'm done. It's the innkeeper's problem now. No. He says, I'll be back. And if you spend any more of this, I'll pay you for whatever you spend over and above. I'm going to come back and check on him. I'm not going to make this your problem. This This is my problem. They've got to be very uncomfortable with this story. Let's see what Jesus says next. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, this is the lawyer, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I love how real this is. Because Jesus ends the story, they're all stunned, they're mad, probably, uncomfortable, okay, he just put his nerve on a very provocative issue, they're uncomfortable, it's the Samaritan who was the hero, and Jesus turns to them and says, okay, so who was the one that uh, had compassion, who was the one that was a good neighbor, and you notice the lawyer can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan? He says, yeah, you know, the guy who did all the good stuff, and leaves it at that, and Jesus says, you're right. Man, two for two, lawyer, you're doing good. He says, now you go and do likewise. Here, use the Samaritan, he's saying to this group, you're right, that Samaritan should now be your model. When you think about being a good neighbor, think of the Samaritan, he's the one who did it right. You go and do just like that Samaritan did. And I love the way he words it. He doesn't say, you go and have that same heart. He doesn't say, you go and have those intentions. You go and feel strongly for the needy. He says, go and do. When he talks about the Samaritan coming up on the man, he says that that the Samaritan has compassion. And every single time you read that word compassion in the New Testament, it is always going to be connected with an action. It always says they had compassion on them, and then it talks about what they do. What's remarkable about this story is it's defining this idea of who is my neighbor. This whole story is to answer this question. He says, who's my neighbor? I want to know, okay, how, how can I justify my current life to make it so that I'm following that law? And he says, he tells the story to answer that question. Who is our neighbor? It's whoever we come across in our path that's needy. And our call is to take action and to go and do likewise, just like this man in the story. Can I read you a scripture out of 1 John? This is later in the New Testament. Here's what it says, 1 John 3, 18. This is John speaking to Christians tenderly. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Church, I think that this call to love those in our path 
is something that God is stirring up in us. What's sad about this story, it's not just remarkable of who was compassionate, but it's just as remarkable as to who was not. It was the people that you'd most expect to be compassionate that were the ones that weren't. Of all people, church, we should of all people know and have a heart of compassion. We're, we who believe that Jesus looked down at us and saw us broken and desperate spiritually. He saw, he who had everything saw that spiritually speaking, we have nothing. And he came down to earth, dies on a cross for us, washes away our sins so that we can inherit eternal life. He became sin. He suffered on the cross, being separated from God the Father so that we can attain sinlessness. God declares us sinless, washes away our sin, declares us sinless. We can attain eternal life. He who had everything became nothing so that we who have nothing can gain everything. He traded places with us. And the calling from a passage like this is, of all people, we should be prepared to serve the desperate that we come across in our path. And here's what I believe God is in, in the midst doing in, um, among us as a church. I believe that he's beginning to, to soften our hearts to have a desire to go out into our community and serve. That we're beginning to believe, okay, God, you have placed us here as a church. This community has needs. We're supposed to enter into this community in the name of Jesus and to meet these needs just how you, Jesus, have done for us. And I think this past weekend when we served together, was an expression of that. This idea of Love South Florida that is not just a West Pines brand. This is a brand that is church-wide throughout Broward County. Churches across denominational lines are coming together throughout the month of November under the banner of Love South Florida doing works, uh, to, doing works out in the community to spread God's love so that we can show the message of Jesus to this community. And can we just celebrate some of the things that happened this past weekend? I just want to share with you some, t- some statistics that blew my mind. We, as we, our local missions team came together, they were planning for this past Saturday for us to serve together. And we said, okay, if we could get 300 volunteers all on one day serving, we would be happy. Okay, let's plan. Let's shoot for 300, to mobilize 300 people to do um, this, these work out, this work out in the community. And we planned for that. We started talking with other uh, organizations that we were going to partner with. And here's how you responded. We didn't have 300. We had 500 people come out on Saturday to respond to serve in our community. So here's what that looks like behind the scenes. We had to call back these organizations and say, hey, um, I know we told you we'd have 50 people at this site. What if we brought 100? And the response was, I'm going to have to call you back, okay? And they have to organize and get ready for the army of volunteers that we sent out into the community. This is God starting this heart, changing our heart to serve more and more. Let me give you some other statistics. That means that we served over 1,000 volunteer hours in one day together as a church. That means... That in addition, this stat blew my mind, in addition to doing construction at several different places, that means just in meals that we packed in partnering with three organizations, we as a church packed over 15,000 meals to send out to the neediest in our community. 15,000 meals. 
Church, I believe this is the beginning of God moving us in this direction of saying, okay, and I, we had, I've had so many people come up to me and, and others on staff saying, oh, that was awesome, when are we going to do that next? And I believe God is starting a, a, a softening of our hearts and pulling us in a church in the direction of wanting to serve and, and give our hours. But that's not the only thing that he's doing to soften our hearts. I believe we're also seeing stories of how he's softening, softening our hearts and calling us to step up in the area of generosity. I want to just read you one uh, email that we got this week that just really just, I, I was so blown away by this email. And it's just one story that represents several others of just someone who's getting it that God has given us not just our, our time, not just our uh, gifts and abilities, but he's given us our financial resources to leverage them to love our community. Listen to this email. This, this heart just really touched me. It says this, We've been wanting to contribute more And after the last few sermons, we know God is calling us to do so. After being blessed with a bonus from my husband's employer, we know this is the right time. We hope, I love this, we hope to make the greatest impact possible. We are inspired to help rebuild in Haiti and also spread Christian love in South Florida. We are hoping to make our biggest donation ever. We have never donated a lump sum like this before, but love this church and have never been so compelled. We are so proud to be part of West Pines. Don't you love hearing that heart? I love hearing the heart of someone that says, I am here to make the greatest impact for God's kingdom. And God is shaping my heart to channel the resources he's given me to make the biggest impact on the neediest in our community and the work that God is doing through my church as as part of this body as I'm linking arms with the work that God is doing through our church. I believe that God is shaping our hearts and getting us to the place where we are called to reach out and to meet needs in our community. And here's where we're going this morning. The call to be a neighbor as defined by Jesus, is reaching out to the needy that God brings in our path. And this morning, we want to bring someone into our path. Today is uh, around the country is called Orphan Sunday. And as we've been together as churches in Broward County for the last two years, as we've been working towards this Love South Florida initiative, we said, okay, we're going to serve all throughout the community, but if there's one issue that this year we are going to focus on, we want to focus on those, we want to focus on the modern-day orphan here in our culture, the fatherless. See, when we think of orphans, we often think about those around the world, and we are very motivated and mobilized as a church. We do sponsorships and and engage in that, but in this series, we're focusing on the community that we've been placed in, and there are modern-day orphans right here in our midst. There are children that are taken out of their homes for a season, and they're placed into a shelter waiting for a loving home to to welcome them in. And we, as, as churches, came together, we said, Every single one of those children needs to end up in a Christian home. So that in their moment of greatest crisis, they're experiencing the love of Jesus. Here's what we believe. We believe that this morning there are some of you who have a heart for this, that God is calling you to this issue. And I want you to just take a second. I want you to see a story, and I want you to see the joy and the privilege of being a part of, of this issue to stepping up as a family and responding to this call. Check out this video. 
when a child's dream of having a family or becoming part of a family comes to be, it's an amazing, an amazing feeling. It's an amazing thing to see unfold. I knew whether they stayed forever or went back to their family that we would have an, a forever connection with them. I remember walking in to the house and my two boys who were probably about what, five and seven or something at the time came running screaming we got Jasmine we got Jasmine and they were so excited that there was um, that there was this little baby there now in the house and unlike most babies that would have their hand or arm on you she never did she always had her hands back she wouldn't she didn't touch, she didn't cry. Never, I never met a baby who never made a sound until I met her. She never made a peep, but she came from a place where she was kind of hollow. There wasn't any, there clearly had been no connection and physical um, connection or emotional connection from where she came. And um, as time went on, I remember that day, um, six months later or so, I picked her up and for the first time, she just didn't hold her hands back. She actually put them on my shoulders Gently. around me. And as if to, to kind of say, hey, I know I belong here now. And, you know, we belong together. And, you know, it was, it was really kind of one of those moments where things just changed. It was just special. Now she gets to hug me, and I get to hug her whenever we want. So it's great. <laughs> Several months after uh, Jasmine was with us, when we got a call from four kids and they said, hey, same parents are having another child who's not going to be able to stay with those parents. Um, would you take her siblings? I said, okay, uh, you know, how could we not? It's so important, um, especially if they're in this situation where they're going into foster care and they're not, they're not with their birth families, that they be together, that they have that to hold on to, that they have each other to hold on to. Um, at the time, we didn't know whether it would be temporary that they would be with us. As it turned out, it was forever. But for whatever time period it was that they were in this, in our care, that they would be together. And the bond that our two have is just incredible. I think it's so close and so tight, and I wouldn't have it any other way. People always say to me, um, oh, I could never do that. And I tell them, I'm doing it, we're doing it, um, you can do it. And they say, well, we'll get too attached to the children and we could never let them go. And that's the risk you take for a child. They really need that love and, um, and they're deserving of that love. And it, it's worth every bit of it, you know. I think just to give that encouragement to a child. This morning we put in a call to Safe Place, which is the location that every child that's removed from a home in Broward County goes through Safe Place. And we ask, hey, there's children cycling through there daily, almost hourly. We said, how many children are there right now? And they said, there's six children right now in Safe Place. Church, they're, they're in our path now. God has brought them into our path Children, I mean, it, let's make it real. If you have children, think of your children. The children you, you know what it's like when your child reaches up to you. These are children that are not surrounded by their family right now in safe place, and they have in a pillowcase or in a trash bag all their belongings they could quickly grab from their home, and they're waiting to be welcomed in. They need to be in a Christian home that shows them the love of Jesus. 
Church, this is a, a, a call. This is a call for us as a church to respond. But this is, a, this is preparation. This morning is preparation. If you're in a community group or you're on a serving team, when you find out that someone in your community group of family has taken in a, a child, a foster child, this is a call for you to wrap around that family and, and to throw a, a baby shower, get them the supplies they need, help them get their, their house ready. It's, it's a, to be ready to help tutor or help babysit or to wrap around. It's a call for that. But it's also a call for foster families to step up. And I believe this morning there are families at our church that have been thinking about this, have had the cords strung in their heart before, and that today is the day to take the next step. And that next step is very simple. It's not signing on the dotted line. It's just saying, okay, I need to get serious about this and find out what it would look like to become a foster parent for our families, to become a foster family. And, and simply that next step today would very simply, on your connection card, you would just write foster care. And we'll follow up with you and let you know the dates for a foster parent training class that you go to. We often host these here at our, at our church, and you just simply go to that class, learn what it means. It's, it's part of the path to going to be a licensed foster home, and you just go through that class and discern, God, are you calling me to this class, to this, to this mission of foster care? Now, some of you might be here and you might be saying like what that woman has had said to her. You say, look, I, I couldn't do that. I don't think I'm wired to do that. I couldn't welcome a child in and, and, and love on them and then send them back out. I don't think that I'm wired to do that. But I want to share with you something that my wife, Rebecca, shared with me um, when she, she worked in foster care for five years and she shared this with me and it's, I've never forgotten it. She said, you know, there's an interesting phenomenon that happens when you're working with foster families. She says that the day that a child comes into foster care, the day they're removed from their home, they have to start a file immediately so they have to include a picture of the child. So they take a picture of that child. And that, that it's in the moment of trauma and crisis, so that picture is almost always heartbreaking. Sometimes the child's actually crying in that picture. Sometimes they're looking straight through the camera. They're just, they're, there's no light in their eye. They're wondering what's happening. He said, looking at that picture is heartbreaking, but as you're working with this family that have welcomed this child into their home over the, over the months and sometimes years, you're looking at this picture as you're walking back out of that home and you're looking at this picture and you're looking at the child that was jumping and running and laughing and hugging with a light in their eyes and you're looking at all the progress that has happened in that child because of the love of a family around them. But there's another transition that happens. She, she talking about how she looks at the faces of these foster families when they first welcome these children in and there's this fear but there's this joy and there's this light in their eye that they get to care for this child and then the day comes when that child that everyone's been working towards to reunify them with their birth parents and it's a day to celebrate. It's a day when things are, are moving the way it's supposed to go but it was always painful for the foster parents and, and she says, I've looked into those foster parents and a lot of times I remember the, the look when they first got these children, the look that was just this life in their eyes, and now I see tears in their eyes and heartbreak. And she said, but what is happening in this moment is so profound because these foster parents have just traded places with these children. They took someone in who was heartbroken, and they're willing to, to give, them, give them life and love and hope, knowing that in the end, yes, they might be heartbroken on the other end. But in just the same way Jesus traded places with us, this is a way we can trade places with the neediest. 
You say, look, I, I don't know that I could do that. You know, the reality is it's probably harder than you think it is. But you know what else is a reality? He that is in you is greater than you think he is. Church, this is a call for some of you families to just take one step and say, all right, I've, I, I there's a needy child in my path. I can't step to the other side. God, you're calling me to just simply take the next step. You may be here this morning and you may say, man, I, I got a lot that I'm processing through and a lot I'm processing through with my relationship with God. You know why we do something like this? It's very simply because he adopted us into his family. We are separated from him and he welcomed us in. And some of you need to realize that he's a heavenly father that's just welcoming you into his arms. And you just simply need to accept that. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? If that's you, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. Maybe this morning you say, I want to, just, I want to be welcomed into God's family. I, I want to, I believe that Jesus sacrificed greatly for me and I, I just, I'm ready to make it right between God and me. I want to be saved. I want to be welcomed into, into heaven for eternity. Then just simply pray this prayer right there in your seat. Just say, God, thank you. Between you and God, make these words yours. God, thank you for what you've done to save me, for loving me that much, to welcoming me in. I want to give you my life. Thank you for forgiving me. I give you my life. I want to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.